keep the world over here, set your things. And we, uh, we got this idea of like not being part of the world, like that be of the world, be in the world, but not of the world kind of idea. Right. So let's kind of work on it. What do, what do we think worldliness means in its more subtle and devious form for the, for the church? What is worldliness? I'm asking you guys. Like the world, and in, in contrast to godliness, to be like God. Being like the world, and in, uh, in contrast to being like God. Okay. Okay. Didi. Just trying to fit in. Trying. We all, we all kind of want to fit in and be accepted. Trying to fit in. Stacy? Not, I would just say probably seeking man's approval. Seeking man's approval. Answering the question, but we're told to be in the world, not of the world. Right. So to be in about set apart from those worldly things. Yep. That John back there. Okay. John in the, the verse John, First uh, John uh, chapter two verse sixteen. Paul is really narrowing it down to it's the desires of the flesh, the desire of the eyes, and the desire, and the pride of life. He said that's of the world, and those are a direct conflict of the Christian. Yeah. If your desires are anything of that, those things he outlines there, that's going to be a lot of trouble. Mm-hmm. Okay, any more? All right. So Bridges in, in, in this book defines worldliness, especially with Christians who are um, kind of subtly struggling with this. Worldliness is being attached to, engrossed in, or preoccupied with the things of this temporal life. Being attached to, engrossed in, or preoccupied with the things of this temporal life. So worldliness being attached to, engrossed in, or preoccupied with the things of this temporal life. It's taking things that might be decent at times and placing far too much importance on them. He later adds to this definition, worldliness means accepting the values, the mores, the practices of the nice but unbelieving society around us without discerning whether or not those values, mores, and practices are biblical. It's going along with the culture around us as long as the culture is not obviously sinful. And if we're paying attention to what's going on in current events, especially with the church, we can see how that's kind of actually worked uh, subtly over the years in many churches uh, so that they compromise in these not obviously sinful ways. And even to this day, you see churches actually fully engrossed and, and engaged in sinful culture. Uh, you know, obviously sinful culture now. It's very, uh, it's been very pernicious, sneaky, 
like slight compromises, but now they're just full blown, just kind of way, like way out of what is going on level of uh, church stuff, right? So it's pretty obvious how how this can affect us if we don't deal with it, all right? So we got to deal with it on the, the the low level, subtle stuff before it gets to that gigantor. Uh, mess that some of these so-called churches are participating in now. So, uh, Bridges in the book define, uh, d- divides uh, this worldliness um, kind of in three categories. Just uh, we'll just kind of run through each of these uh, categories. We're going to talk about money. We're going to talk about immorality, and we're going to talk about idolatry. So, the first category is money. Can I have a volunteer, a voluntold? No, a volunteer. Stacy, go ahead. Matthew six twenty four. No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. Right. I think most of us uh, here uh, know that we shouldn't be controlled outright by money. I don't know of many, very many people here that are ruled by greed and avarice and are going around like trying to get all the money they can uh, so um, but we do struggle with money um, money is an issue um, whether it's um, how we use it or how generous we are with it so let's talk about well how do we how do we struggle? How, how do we think we struggle as a church body or as church individuals, Christians, with the subject of money and kind of seeing it as the world sees it? Yes, Sherry. Afraid of running out of it? You're afraid of running out of it. Thanks. Failing to remember that all that we have is from God, not from ourselves. All that we have is from God, yes. Remember that. Tim? Being like the world, that more is always better, mm-hmm. and, and neglecting spiritual dangers that come with having more. Yeah. And realizing that the desire for more just leads to the desire for more. There's a, there's a never-ending uh, desire. Yeah. Yeah. Else? Okay. Let's look at stewardship. Can I have another volunteer to read First Peter four ten? First Peter four ten. Thanks, Josh. Joshua. One has received a gift. Employ it in serving one another as good, good stewards of the manifold grace of God. One of the ways that we might struggle with our money is our stewardship. The first thing that we need to remember is that every good gift, as Didi said, every good gift is a perfect gift from above, from the Father of lights, from with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. The money we have, the jobs we have, the education we have, the family we have, is really on loan to us from God. He's entrusted it to us. Uh, we're to be stewards and caretakers of this. So, why, according to Peter, to serve one another? 
our purpose for uh, having these gifts is so we can serve other people with it in the church. I, I would venture to guess that because you're in the United States, living in the United States, you're probably among the richest people on the entire planet, uh, even if you're not very rich. Uh, you are pretty rich compared to the rest of the world. Uh, yet, how many of us are struggling with debt? <laughs> um, why are we struggling with debt? Well, I mean, obviously, there's you know, you can buy a house and it's going to be debt, right? But there's other kinds of debt that's probably really unhealthy and not good stewardship. Um, spending way beyond your means, gigantic credit card debts, uh, things like that. Um, I've noticed that the more debt you're in, uh, well, you're not going to be able to use your money uh, for the things that you could be using it for, right? You couldn't be using it to serve God if you're too busy trying to just pay off your debt. Um, there's a way, if we're, if we're blessed with finances and resources to bless others and serve others, well, if we're not using it correctly, we're not going to be serving others. We're, we're going to be poor stewards of that. We won't help be able to serve. Of course, the point isn't uh, just to make money so that we can be wealthy. It's to serve one another. If we take better care of that money, God lets us steward, we can use it to serve those in our church body who might have a need. A widow who can't pay for rent, a high school student trying to earn enough money for summer camp, or a college student who just needs a good home-cooked meal. God gives us various blessings, including our money, so that we can serve one another. Um, I'm going to ask you, to give us, if you have an example of somebody who has been able to bless you um, in some way like this, I can think. I'm gonna. I'll, I'll start. When I was in college, I w- there was a there was a um, a month long period where I just had enough money for rent. No, I had maybe some top ramen, but I had like no food. I was like, I don't know, what I'm gonna eat. I have no idea what I'm gonna eat for a solid month. Every single night, somebody from church had invited me over for dinner. And I didn't, like, blare this to the mountaintops that I'm broke. I'm not eating. I don't know what I'm going to do. These people just like, hey, Matt, what are you doing? Why don't you come over for dinner? Okay. (laughs) Hey, God obviously used those people. Um, They had the money to buy extra food. Not much. I was a light eater anyways, but a little extra food and fellowship. It was great. They blessed me. Would anybody else like to share of a time somebody blessed you? Yes, right. We had missionaries give us a donation. Wow. I didn't know they knew our situation. That <laughs> so was amazing. Yeah, that's awesome. Very sweet. Anybody else? Oh, that's fine. If you, uh, uh, yes, Stacy. But I know um, we have found that anytime there is a need, there is some supernatural way that that need has been met, whether it's been through this specific body or through our family or through, um, you know, an extra bit that the federal government gave back. I mean, everything that we have needed, God has been faithful to meet. 
and um, either by his people or just other means. Yeah. <laughs> but it's all him. So. Yeah. Got to provide us. And more. More than yeah, yeah. Exactly, yes. Anybody else want to share or, or you know, brag? <laughs> no. I was trying to get some. Yes, Tim. When I was in seminary and we were, for various reasons, things were tight um, early in our marriage. Another church that had that knew about us and had some extra cash on hand gave us a pretty big chunk to help us. And it was remarkable. I mean, we, they didn't know us that well. <laughs> Uh, but it was just very, they, they knew the direction we were headed ministry-wise and wanted to bless us, and it was truly helpful. Yes. All right, let's move on from there. It's, a, it, it's money that we have, uh, we can use to serve other people in the body of Christ and other various ministries and, you know, helps if you, if you have a burden for some other uh, ministry. I mean, obviously, if you have the finances and you're taking care of your money you can you can meet the needs that those other ministries may uh, need have a financial need for another area that we might be struggling a related area obviously it's still money uh, another area uh, is in the issues of tithing tithes and giving um, I know a lot of people's hackles kind of when people start talking about giving at church uh, there's a curious response to that uh but well, i mean if you have wealth health and wealth kind of stuff going on people you know rightly are kind of like radar uh blipping in their heads but uh there is tithes ties and giving is a thing that is talked about in the bible and it is something we should be doing so uh, before we read any verses uh let's think about reasons why we might not, besides the fact that we haven't been good stewards and we've uh, wasted our money and we're in massive amounts of debt, uh, why we might not be willing to or might struggle to give tithes and offerings. Why might we struggle with that? Sometimes, too, like this is a gift from God. It's like I earn this, you know, kind of thing. So versus giving it back to God. Yeah. The, the thinking that it's mine, I earned it. that what I have is not even going to meet my basic needs. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So worry, huh? What else? Tim? And then Randy? Old, burdensome law, and uh, we're, we're in the new covenant in Christ. We're free from the law, so we don't have to do that anymore. Yeah. Randy? Somebody at church told me they could not afford to tithe. And I said, how can you not? Uh, I didn't understand it. Yeah. The cheerful giving part of it, sometimes we're not cheerful about the ministry that we're giving to, so we may not be cheerful in our giving. Not cheerful. I know it's not a hand raise, Hannah, so I won't call on you. She was yawning. <laughs> Sorry, Hannah. All right. <laughs> uh, so we'll start. Yes, uh, we'll start with some Old Testament first. Uh, can I have um, one reader 
for Deuteronomy 4, 4, well, 422. I made a mistake in my notes and it says 4, 442. Uh, 1422 is correct. Man, I like 1422. I have it written right once and wrong once. Okay, so 1422. Thank you, Rodney. And then Malachi 310. Thank you. Malachi 3.10. And then uh, one person is going to read a New Testament passage. 2 Corinthians 9.6-10. Thanks, Tim. All right, let's, let's read them all right in a row. Deuteronomy 14.22 first. Tithe all the yield of your seed that comes from the field year by year. Bring a full tithe into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house, and thereby put me to the test, says the Lord of hosts. If I will not open the windows of heaven for you and pour down for you a blessing until there is no more need. It was 6 to 10? Yeah. All right. Um, the point is this. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. As it is written, he is distributed freely, he has given to the poor, his righteousness endures forever. He who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing, and increase the harvest of your righteousness. First of all, as somebody already mentioned, it's very helpful to remember that we don't own anything that we own. Uh, we are just stewards. Keep this, keeping this in mind will help us to have a better prospect, a perspective of tithing and giving right out of the starting gate. Um, imagine if you put your money in the bank, Right? And then you went to the bank and tried to take your money out of the bank. Well, and they didn't give you your money. You'd be pretty upset, right? Has that happened before? It's happened before. I know it. I know it's happened before. Um, maybe there might be a limit on how much you can take out, or the bank closed and the yeah machine won't give you the money that you want. Um, but you get upset because that's your money. You give me my money, right? Uh, so, well, the bank is just a steward of your money, and you're just a steward of God's money, and God has a right to that money at any time that he wants. If he calls you to use your money uh, for something, guess what? You should probably use it for that because it's his money. Uh, we'd be pretty upset if the bank didn't, didn't give us our money. <laughs> so uh, and God's not like a rude bank customer or anything like that, but it is his money. We understand the idea. Tithing is a commandment in the Old Testament. Uh, most of us here, of course, don't have seed crops that we're working with, but we understand the principle that we should be giving from what we have reaped in our work. Uh, but in case you're worried about being able to tithe, there's almost a, also that promise of blessing. Uh, not to get all healthy and wealthy here, but... Uh, Malachi offers a chance to see what God can do if you place your trust in him. It doesn't say he's going to necessarily give you more of the money, but he's going to bless you. See, 
that he'll take care of all you all you provide excuse me see see that he'll take care of you and provide for your needs jesus promises this this in matthew and in luke when he encourages his followers not to be anxious about food or clothing look at the birds of the air they neither sow nor reap nor gather in barns and yet your heavenly father feeds them are you not more value than they of more value than they and why are you anxious about clothing consider the lilies of the field how they grow they neither toil nor spin if you're thinking that tithing is out because it's part of the old covenant and it was meant specifically to care for the tribe of levi you may want to check your thinking a bit god still wants you to give and according to the corinthians passage we just read he wants you to give with a cheerful attitude not from a legalistic feeling of compulsion, but with a general attitude of thankfulness. Also, we are still providing for a pastoral staff, much like the Israelites provided for the Levites. And that's biblically justified as well. Um, how can we uh, take a, just a thought off the side here? How, how can we make sure that we're giving with a, a cheerful uh, attitude. How can, how can we make that happen? Yes, Randy. It's a meaningful act of worship, true thanksgiving, and it's a way of confessing he is my provider, my sustainer, my everything. And what he allows me to keep is minuscule to my eternal benefits. Perfect. Yep. That is worship. Exactly. It's this is an act of worship. It's not about that person you might be giving money to. It's not about you and your money. This is like I want to give because I love God. God has given, and finally remember that our gift of giving, just like all our other means in which we obey the word, should be a reflection of the gift that God lavished upon us with His Son. This is why Paul is so encouraged by those Macedonians and Second Corinthians. They give generously, even in their poverty because they understand what Christ has done for them. And it's this like giving completely like completely of themselves because they know how much Christ has given to them. And that should be our attitude. That's, that's going to help us be a cheerful giver. Have a volunteer read second Corinthians eight, nine, just to reemphasize this. Thanks, Rodney. That though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you by his poverty might become rich. There you go. And then, you know, Christ himself is demonstrating and illustrating his own willingness to give completely uh, out of his riches for us. Yes. Is he speaking strictly material things or spiritual things? <laughs> Become rich. Oh, I think it's the question. I mean, re- repeat it again. I want to hear the words right. Good. No, I've got to check my memory here. <laughs> Did you say he's speaking? Is he speaking? He's speaking of making us rich. Out of his poverty, he made us rich. I'm thinking it's not material riches; it's spiritual riches. But I don't. I want other input. Well, I think here that's the case. And I, I mean, sometimes I guess 
he could bless us with material things, but that's not the promise. That's not necessarily, that's not explicitly the promise. That's why we really got to be clear, steer clear of the health and wealth stuff so we don't, you know, get that in our, in our head that we're going to get rich. This is the rich, this is the rich we're looking for right here. I mean, comparatively. He became sin for us? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, in the separation from God. Okay. Yeah. All right. Let's, uh, we've seen some of the subtle, I guess, ways that we struggle with money. I guess they're not that subtle. Any, anybody have any questions or comments regarding the money issue? Let's, yes, Matt. Insidious thing in our lives, um, James 4 specifically highlights what causes fights and pulls among you. Is it not this that your passions are at war within you? You desire, do not have. Um, you ask, you ask with wrong motives to spend it on your own desires. And God is very much opposed to that sort of stance, you know, that He's opposed to the proud, but also gives grace to the humble. And that was all in the context of. Our, our passions of covetousness and yeah. so um, it's a very subtle it can be a very subtle sin that can manifest itself in numerous ways so it's a, it's a spiritual warfare really if we're, where if we're captivated and captured by um, material needs or, or desires that rage in our heart um, it can work its way out in destructive ways in our, in our minds Let's move on to the next area, and I haven't actually seen this as a big, gigantic problem in our church, so I'll try to be really brief with it. <laughs> Immorality. Uh, the next area in which we struggle uh, with acceptable or subtle sin is the area of immorality. Clearly, there are obvious areas of immorality that we all recognize and we can avoid, like the plague. And some immorality is so blatantly offensive that it's easy for most of us to just you know, skirt around and not deal with and we don't have to because we're not going to have a struggle with that uh but we're talking about the acceptable sins here sort of so where it, where is immorality a struggle for those of us in the church body and bridge bridge offers two areas one he he says a friend coined this term vicarious immorality and the one in the area of immodesty so vicarious immorality is probably something we might struggle with a little bit more it's it's we're not participating in the immorality but we're enjoying witnessing the immorality and this is more like the uh, finding it like going through the supermarket aisle and we see the the tabloids and you know such and such a um, celebrity had an affair and you know or it's kind of like kind of relishing these like little uh ideas that are really awful um, but it's it's kind of like gossip it, it, they are gossip magazines right it's gossip but we're kind of, it's kind of like relishing in this like idea these these things that are happening and not really really recognizing them as um, sin and awful like like instead, instead of like relishing like oh I remember this happened when, when Britney Spears went 
totally crazy and shaved off her head and was like going bonkers and everybody's like oh she's finally falling all this kind of stuff um and everybody's laughing and like that girl is something's wrong with her guys like something is like there's something wrong with this person and she's fallen and she's fallen hard and you should feel bad about that instead of uh like rejoicing that some person i know something's sick with us as people uh this is a little english side note here uh do shakespeare tragedies and the 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 shakespeare tragedy is starts with somebody who's in a high position and they end up in a worse position and it doesn't really work if you just have a normal person like do that uh like it's just like you know, peasant guy loses his whole all his possessions because he doesn't have anything but boy when a king loses his whole family and his kingdom and everybody around him dies oh we love that um well that's there's something kind of sick there right it's like we're rejoicing in somebody else's suffering so this uh vicarious immorality is you know sort of participating in this like gossip of the world about like movie stars and famous people it also might be like kind of getting too close to like watching things on TV that are kind of questionable. Maybe we shouldn't be watching this, but let's keep watching it anyways. Uh, just kind of like skating on the thin edge of, of you know, what we should and shouldn't be doing. Um, so just like the term vicarious, right? You're living kind of through somebody else. So you're basically practicing immorality through somebody else's immorality. Still in your thoughts it's part of it's becoming part of your mentality it's part of your sin nature now the other uh, area uh, under this immorality is immodesty and Bridges will uh, will address it with two both for the dress and for the response to the dress right and Again, I don't think this is a gigantic problem in our church body, but it is a problem, and we'll just talk about it briefly. So we've seen how the world likes to clothe themselves. It's getting worse. I think, yeah, it's pretty bad. The Bible does speak about how we should dress in the church. Can I have somebody... I need a drink of water. So somebody can read uh, 1 Timothy 2, 9 and 10. 1 Timothy 2, 9 and 10. I also want the women to dress modestly with with decency and propriety, adorning themselves not with elaborate hairstyles or gold or pearls or expensive clothes, but with good deeds appropriate for women who profess to worship God. So... How does this suggest ladies should dress? And why? Why the suggestion? Or command, I don't know. Sometimes this one's a little, a little touchy because it's have an eye, and that women like to attract that eye. 
Yeah, that's what we're gonna, the, the, the part, the next part is going to be about that. So I'm going to jump right into that. <laughs> so for men, the, the, obviously, uh, well, men's bodies are different, but... Uh, men, our struggle with a modest dress will come uh, on the viewing end of things. Uh, we might we might struggle with that wandering eye. Ladies, of course, it's you can help us by dressing immodestly, but ultimately the buck stops with our own thinking. It's uh, my own sin nature. My wandering eye is my own sin nature. Right? So God doesn't give us a pass if some girl is at, at work is dressed immodestly. Doesn't give me a pass. Uh, you know, to, to have a gawking eye. Uh, no, Christ says that even if we look at a woman with lust, we've committed adultery. So Proverbs compares the lustful looks of a, of a, of a man to hell and destruction. So this is, I'm going to read, this is from the King James Version of Proverbs 27.20. Hell and destruction are never full, so the eyes of a man are never satisfied. So comparatively, the, comparing the eyes of a man looking around at, uh, it's compared to hell and destruction. So uh, the ESV and NASB uses Sheol and Abaddon there, so I just wanted to make sure. Hell and destruction, all right? <laughs> Can I have another volunteer uh, read Romans 6, 20 and 21? 6, 20 to 21. Thank you. Were you getting at that time for the things of which you are now ashamed? For the end of those things is death. Yeah. And so, and guys, uh, there we go. Here, this is the avenue you want to go down. The avenue leads to death. Uh, gentlemen, your lustful thinking leads to death. Uh, it could be your physical death. It could, it's your spiritual death. It could be death of a relationship, but it's death. Stay. Keep your eyes focused like a laser beam on Christ. Avoid avoid lust, lustful thinking like the plague. If it's a struggle for you, I would encourage you to seek help and seek accountability. Um, that is one of the biggest, and, and pray, is one of the biggest things I, um, I would advise you to do. All right, uh, the last one, uh, I, I just kind of threw this on here. Bridges didn't put this in here. He sort of addressed it, but the culture of the world, which would include television, movies, music, and uh, social media. <clears throat> this is another area where we're going to probably struggle, find ourselves struggling uh, with immorality. Um, he did mention inappropriate movies, but I think there's been like this pernicious effort through media uh, to drive people further and further away from God uh, and it's been going on for a while and I can think of like just kind of here's kind of a progression you know, I, I remember well I don't remember because I wasn't alive when this happened but I Love Lucy it's notorious for having Lucy and, and Ricky sleeping in separate beds even though they're married for much of the, the season right and then and then eventually they were in the same bed. Uh, and then we have lots of television shows with husbands and wives in beds. And then now suddenly that we have husbands and wives in beds partially clothed. Then we have people who aren't married in bed 
and um, unclothed various acts. And then we have um, like to, like today now, like where you're, I won't be surprised if you're watching a TV show and you know the camera pans and the dude is in bed and it scrolls over him and the person next to him is a dude, right? Um, you know this gone and it's not like over the it's not like super over the top preachy kind of like but it's just kind of subtly changed over time um, and with subtle changes people just slowly start to accept that this is okay this is okay popular music popular music uh, has always been a kind of a trouble spot um, rock and roll is kind of was rebellious always but even like back in the day you might have you know coded words for sex you know like you know it's at least poetically mentioned instead of just blatantly mentioned but now you're just openly talking about it with no codes whatsoever it's just clearly and this is popular not and there's always been some like you know underground stuff that's just crass and but now the popular music is just crass and open and explicit and whatever uh, to the point uh, where you can't you know, like feel guilty listening to any kind of music. Uh, social media is still relatively new, but you can see how people on social media are using the platform uh, for evil and just kind of like just you know making their arguments for more worldliness online. There's just just some crazy people out there, and it's just it's getting worse. Yes. Make a comment kind of ties in these two together, but when we were talking about immodesty back at the beginning, immodesty, like you know, you're talking about uh, lust, modesty isn't only addressing provocatively or suggestively, right. it's also like in the scripture, it talks about don't come in all decked out to uh, impress everybody to say, Look at me, because That's true. Yeah. women are more struggling with. Comparison. Mm. I mean, men might be struggling with with lust sexually. Women are struggling with with comparison and and inferiority, if you will. And that you know, you hear about that a lot in the in the struggle with young girls and women in social media, where everybody's saying, "Look at me, um, and I'm better than you." You know, and and we struggle with that a lot. So the immodesty mentioned there is the the wealthy women coming. In all their finery and their jewels and their hairstyles and everything to uh, draw attention to themselves, rather than um, modestly in a way to, to draw attention to the Lord and to be able to engage with other women without intimidating. That's Maybe that's part of it too. It's really insightful. <laughs> Something my male brain didn't didn't think about when I was sitting at home. Thank you. <laughs> Our heart in all of this is yeah. so incredibly important because I think that, especially as Christians, we can be motivated to, in order to keep our hearts and minds pure, to withdraw from the world and to have our own community or commune of like you know. And I, I just remember like many years where I was counseling at pregnancy centers and like the like what a blessing that was to me to step into real life and to hear their stories and to you know like. But like without partaking of it in a way that glorifies their sin, but understanding where they're coming from to hopefully point them to Jesus and out of that. So it's a hard thing, even as we're raising our children, to want to keep our hearts and minds pure and keep their hearts and minds pure versus 
understanding that this is what is in the world, and this, and we want to be able to step into it enough to be able to show them Jesus. And so I don't know, like exactly where, like it comes back again to our hearts and our motives. And it's like we can, we can. I'm sorry, speaking about men and gender, women both have a right heart and motive while we are interacting with somebody who is clearly lost in these ways versus not. You know. Mm-hmm. I think we are. I was going to ask you if you had any thoughts or questions about this. Thank you. That was the very next thing. Thing on social media. Um, that, that literally social media, the words, it's one society talking to another society via any means, not just technology. You could do the same thing with smoke clouds <laughs> or music. <laughs> I mean, social media has been around since the beginning of time. Um, I'm just saying that you can use social media in a negative sense or a positive sense in any context, not just technology, obviously. You can communicate about ill will or negativity in any means, obviously. (laughs) Yeah, okay. Yeah. I mean, I do know that people do use the technological social media for good as well. Uh, but there's a lot of bad out there, too. Good. All right. So we looked at money. We looked at immorality. Uh, now the last bit is idolatry. Well, oh, we're going to struggle with that. Um, I'm going to read Exodus 23 through 5. Uh, you shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness or anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath it or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow to them or serve them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers and the children to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me. Clearly, idol worship is out. Right? Don't do it. I would imagine that none of us here today have a shrine to a false god in our living rooms, correct? No? Okay, good. Wait, do we have that TV? Oh, no. Ah, we do, however, have idols of the heart. All right? Things that are, are not God that somehow seem to take his place in our affections. Some of these things can be good things, uh, but we misplace the affections toward them. We've been uh, hearing this a lot. I've been hearing this a lot lately, talking about these good things in our lives that just we put too much affection in them. We place them in a place kind of above God. And that's where any good thing could be like that. Uh, But we're going to look at just a few. Uh, Career, um, politics and culture, sports, and then we'll talk and see if there's any more you want to talk about. Career, our jobs. We'll do that at the end. Okay. Okay. (laughs) The first one we're going to like to look at is career, um, and our jobs and our ability to provide for ourselves is a blessing, and we should be thankful again. But often uh, we get, and this might be um, maybe more men do have a problem with this, but uh, often we get so singularly focused at work, and um, that's and it becomes so 
like all-encompassing uh, that it becomes like almost the only focus in our lives. So should I just quit working? Of course, can't quit working. Of course not. Rather, I need to remember why. Why am I working? Why do we work? That's a question for us. Why are we? Why do we work? I mean, I enjoy a good. You can. I enjoy a good laying around the house. Unfortunately, that's a struggle area for me. So, if I'm somebody who's lazy, like I am, why would I? Why would I want to work? Why should I work? Yes. Oh, God told me to work? Yeah, he told you to work. Okay, God tells us to work. Work and keep the garden. Work and keep. Yep. I recognize that from somewhere. <laughs> so that's not an option. Okay, so why else? Uh, what, so what was my motivation? My motivation for working at this point, now that I've been commanded to, now I need a motivation. Because... to that like personally yesterday I, I um, finished repairing some some um, 
sprinklers in our yard. And it felt so good to finish the job. Like, I'm not a handy guy. Any any sort of handiwork is a miracle. And uh, I got it done, and it looks like it's it's working. And I, I have a like a strong sense of satisfaction at the end of the job. Right? I, I did it. Like, oh, my goodness. Like, our house is going to stop being flooded. Okay. <laughs> I'll get your stuff back, Jeff. <laughs> All right. Uh, well, here's another reason. Uh, can I have a person read 2 Corinthians 5.9? Okay. When we are at home or away, we make it our aim to please him. Who do you think that him is? It's God, right? Let's please the Lord. Our work uh, should be an effort to please the Lord. Uh, this is a, a way that we can worship, right? Worship isn't just singing songs. And going to church, but our work can be an act of worship as well, and it should be. Uh, so, it's the job itself, the career we might have is a gift from the Lord. That work is an act of worship toward the Lord. So, when we're at work, we're doing, trying to do the best, we're motivated to do the best job that we can be doing as a way to please Him. But keeping in mind that this is, this is, it's for Him, not for me, not for my career. Not to the detriment of my family, not to the detriment of my church. Uh, this, there's a purpose for work, right? And it's not just to make myself rich and you know, make myself the best, whatever, whatever I'm, I am, right? Uh, is to is to worship the Lord. Um, the next act of uh, thing that we might struggle with uh, worshiping is. And it sounds kind of weird, but political and cultural issues. Some of us are more politically minded than others, and some of us might get a little over the top with that, uh, heated, uh, maybe to the point of, like, find yourself talking more about what's going on in the current election, uh, more so than the gospel itself. Um, uh, obviously, uh, if we're in our church and that's what they're talking about all the time, it's, you've got to wonder what's going on with this church. Um, luckily, uh, I feel like we're in a healthy church with regards to that. Uh, I know that there's people of different political persuasions and cultural persuasions. The main thing at churches should be the gospel and preaching the gospel and preaching of the word. And all the politics and all that kind of stuff, that's a side issue. Um, that it, There will be some things that co- collide with our church um, what the what the gospel preaches and we can talk about that we can deal with that but typically we want to uh, stay away from preaching politics and culture on the pulpit uh, and it can be a, a, an area of a struggle for some people i'm gonna just leave out there <laughs> the third area many guys struggle with this and i'm surprised let me look around the room just a few people in this room i'm surprised at this church uh, in the past, I've been at other churches where people really struggle with this, and I have. Is sports uh, gentlemen tend to struggle with this more than the ladies, uh, but obsessing and being crazy about sports to the point of worship and adoration, and and it gets pretty uh, pretty intense. And I have 
definitely struggled with this in the past. Um, <laughs> so that's a that's a big issue. I'm not going to talk about that too much more because we don't have much time. It's obviously I don't. Anybody, I know that some people are big sports fans, but I don't know. I'm looking around the room. I don't see anybody here that I know is a big sports fan. <laughs> yeah. How about the game, guys? You see the game? How about the game? Okay. <laughs> I I actually was in a church once where I. This is sad. I hope hopefully they. Um, I quit the softball team because I just didn't have time for softball anymore, and it's like they didn't have anything to talk to me about anymore. I was like, "Aren't we? There's something more at this church than softball, guys. Come on." <laughs> All right. Um, other areas that might feel that we have struggle with idolizing. Yes. Health. Ooh, good to explain. Or if you want to. Just, we were just whispering to each other, like health and nutrition can be like something that occupies your mind yeah. to the point of idolatry. Good. Thank you. Well, and even identity in, in your health. Yeah. That's, a, like, that's a big deal. Yeah. People don't trust God. Like, there's a point where, like, of course you want to be good stewards on the vines, but some of them get to a point where it's like, I want to look young forever, and I want to make sure I'm just, and it's like, they don't trust God, but God has a time for when we're going to die and age, and sometimes it's not related to our development <laughs> nutrition. Right. Yeah. Well, and I think also, it's still that, that health, wealth, prosperity movement pulls into that, in that sense of, like, we spiritual oversleeve, spirit, like, it's like, we are good students, we need to be good stewards of our health, but we also can see any weaknesses as, like, a, a spiritual thing instead of a... Or in the flesh kind of thing. Thank you. Oh, yes. Um, anything that um, becomes an idol is also a, an avenue for us to become very self-righteous. And that's a real danger, too, where we look down on others that are different than we are or feel ourselves superior. Somehow we have things figured out that people haven't figured out or, you know, with health and nutrition or you stay fit or go to the gym 10, day, 10 times a week, you know, I mean, there's a lot of ways that we can be very, and that goes back to politics and sports too, All and anything where we uh, are self-righteous, and there's a lot of that in the, in the media, you see that all the time, everybody's self-righteously lecturing us about why they're better than we are, and why we're, our views are wrong, or, you know, whatever, so that's what we're going to be careful about. for two, I've seen, I've been to a lot of churches, temples, mosques, I've seen a lot of people pray and idolize idols. I wanted to talk about idols real quick. One, in the Hindu religion, you have millions of people going to millions of temples, and yes, they're praying to actual carbon images. The first time my father took me into one place, he rang a bell. Everybody looked. Why? I even questioned. He said that's to wake up the idol, to make sure he's noticing you giving your donation. I said to the side, really quickly though, 
I laughed so hard it caused everybody in the temple to basically want me to leave. It was so preposterous to my mind at the time. A real idol that they were actually thinking was alive? Very strange and odd to my mind at the time. But this is a lot of people. However, what I did was I dug into their scriptures, which are much older than our scriptures. And there's nothing that says that you should pray to a carven image. Oddly enough, that's men doing that. Not to mention then you have Buddhism in the same exact vein. People praying to Buddha. Guess what? There's nothing in their literature that says, make a carven image of me and start praying to me. And if, if I'm wrong, I would like to see those scriptures. <laughs> well, we have a clear directive not to not to bow to any idol. So yeah, thank you. All right, yes, Gary. Well, there, there's just like any number of hobbies and interests that can consume our time and our resources to the to the detriment of our walk with the Lord. Yeah, hobbies kind of goes back to your first statement. You know, as far as mm-hmm. the, if any any. Uh, anything we're attached to or engrossed in. Right. Stay away from my pickleball, Gary. <laughs> <laughs> All right. <laughs> Too close to home there. Come on. <laughs> no. All right. So I'm going to close to wrapping it up. I'm going to let's talk about just really how a quick way that I think a couple things, to, thoughts to think about before, as we go out and we're battling the worldliness in our own in our own hearts and minds. Um, and I think I left. I have some questions on there that you can address during um, fellowship group tonight. But let's uh, look at a couple passages. Uh, I'm going to read James four five through six, and I think Matt mentioned this earlier. But first of all, the the first thing you need to start recognizing is uh, we are propon- uh, pro- we have a propensity for sin, and we got to stay humble and we got to look for you know look for and, re- and recognize that sin is going to happen. So James four five through six says, uh, "Do you su- or do you suppose it is to no purpose that the Scripture says he yearns jealously over the Spirit that he has made to dwell in us, but he gives more grace? Therefore it says God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble." So, you know, it's a trite thing that the world might say, like, stay humble, but stay humble. Uh, actually, stay humble. And, and to recognize, like, you are prone to sin. And when it comes, when it strikes, you should, like, okay, uh, this is happening. I've, I've struggled with this. I'm fallen with this. God, help me. Show me in your word. Give me people in my life to hold me accountable. Help me to confess this to you and not do this anymore. Okay? So you should be humble. Stay humble. And then we got this wonderful pattern. I wonder if we're going to get some sort of sermon out of this coming in the near future from Colossians chapter 3. So I'm going to read this long passage from 3 that I'm sure Pastor Greg will preach on uh, sometime in the near future. Colossians chapter 3, 1 through 16. If you want to read along with me, that would be great. If then, if then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. I recognize I just asked you to read along with me and then I didn't wait for you. 
So if you'd like to read, go ahead and open your Bibles to Colossians chapter 3, and then I'll start over. Okay. If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil, desires and, evil desire and covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. And these you too once walked when you were living in them. But now you must put them all away. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices, and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. Here there is not Greek nor Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free, but Christ is all and in all. Put on, then, as Christ's chosen one, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other, as the Lord has forgiven you. So you also must forgive. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you are called in one body. And be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. We should be seeking Christ, remembering the work that he's done in our lives, and we should be looking to get rid of the life, our lives of all sin. Look for it, root it out with the aid of the word, with our church body, and with the Holy Spirit. And then we should be trying to clothe ourselves in the fruit of the Spirit. What an abrupt ending. Uh, I'll provide a question. I got the questions for you there. This has been the final uh, session for Respectable Sins by Jerry Bridges. if it's a book club uh, review, I would recommend this book for you. Uh, it is pretty helpful. It's in addressing these kinds of sins. If these are the things you struggle with, um, I would get this book. It's even got some helpful questions and activities in the back that you can go through with somebody, uh, one of your peers or somebody else in the church. be really great. Um, let's go ahead and close it up in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, um, we thank you again for uh, your word and how your word uh, gives us truth and life. Thank you for the work that your son has done on the cross uh, and for the power that uh, that you have to forgive sins. You're so merciful and kind to us, God. And even though we keep struggling with all these little things that uh, we think are little, uh, they're really big deals, God. You're merciful and you're patient and you constantly are working to uh, sharpen us and hone us uh, more into the image of your son. God, help us uh, as we walk um, and we root out these sins. God, point them out to us. Make us recognize them. Help us to see. uh, Give people in our lives to point them out to us if we need be. Help us to be humble and recognize that in your name. Amen.